What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to welcome 78 Sports as a new sponsor of the Head of the Curve podcast. If you're a baseball coach and you're not familiar with 78 Sports, then you need to be. The guys at 78 Sports are a full design, supply, and installation team that does it all for baseball coaches and facilities. Whether you're looking to get new hitting mats, replace L-screens, put up a new batting cage, or even design a brand new indoor facility, the 78 Sports team has you covered. As an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners, 78 Sports is offering special pricing on your order when you mention Ahead of the Curve. Give them a call today at 844-478-TURF to get your order started. You can also check them out on their website at www.78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number eight, sports.com. On today's show, we have on Kevin Graber, head baseball coach at Phillips Academy Andover. KG is a two-time Northeast Region Baseball Coach of the Year and two-time finalist for National Coach of the Year. He has led Phillips Academy to 12 consecutive Central New England Prep Final Four appearances, winning back-to-back titles in 2012 and 2013, the school's 10th Central New England Prep Championship in 2016, another in 2018, and just this week, they dogpiled again to finish first in 2022. So on the show, we discuss dogpile stories, the art of communication, defining standards and core values, and how to promote our programs. You're going to love this episode with Kevin Graber. KG, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. No, absolutely. I, I have been as well. And and I, I one thing I noticed about you, the few times that we've talked, you make me feel better. Like just the, <laughs> you bring just the positive nature that you bring every single time that we t- discuss. Like we only talked three or four times and I'm like, man, I love, I love this guy. So I don't know. Is that something that you... That you try and promote? Is it just your natural personality, or is it is it something that you that you work on? Because I would love to to bottle that up and do that myself. Oh, I, that's an amazing compliment. I think a lot of programs have different mantras, and one of ours for sure is nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. That's Ralph Waldo. Oh, that's good. So I try to bring that to every space I inhabit. No, no doubt. Well, let's talk a little bit uh, just about you know player development. Let's talk about coach development, and I want to rewind to you know the day that you got the head coaching job, and you were telling me off the mic you were the assistant, and then you got the head coaching job, and that former head coach was then your assistant, and I would love so give us a play by play because I'm, I'm sure you guys had a great relationship for that to happen for him to stay on and and, and be your assistant after that, but just kind of walk us through what that process was like. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go through the vision in like the first 100 days as a head coach, if you don't mind too. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I arrived here in fall, when we arrived here, cause this is certainly a family endeavor, my wife, Tina and I, and our three kids, Katie, Kyle and Kelly fall of 2008. Um, you know, I was an assistant coach under a, a pretty legendary head coach named Andy Klein, who was here for three decades and had won a bunch of championships and had a, had a you know, pretty good amount of success. Um, but this was my first venture into coaching high school baseball. You know, I had coached in professional baseball. I'd managed in professional baseball. I'd coached in college baseball. I come directly from the college ranks. And to be with someone who had been so entrenched in the high school game for so long, it was just such a valuable learning experience and such a great baton handoff to just get it right from a guy who'd been entrenched here for three decades. And that was just so, so valuable. In my first year as head coach here was the fall of 2010. And I remember, Jonathan, that you know, that first team I had was stocked with amazing kids and you know, I'm still in touch with most of them. They're now doctors and attorneys and working on Wall Street and running for oh, public office. Just an amazing group. But, you know, we didn't have many baseball players, if that makes sense. Um, I remember after that first season, you know, I, I met one on one with each of the returning players, especially. And it was my first year as a head coach in high school. So I wanted to get a sense of what their experience was like playing for me. And that was pretty helpful. But the final question I asked each player was, you know, where are you playing summer ball? And the first kid was like, well, actually, I'm going to architecture camp at Cornell. The next kid was like, I'm backpacking okay. through the Swiss Alps with my grandfather. Awesome. So the, next, the next kid was like, I'm going to sleepaway camp. The next kid was like, you know, I'm working as a counselor and training at my sleepaway camp. So it dawned on me that, you know, we had a baseball program stocked primarily with amazing kids, but kids who didn't necessarily play baseball. Um, you know, I felt like we could have it both ways. I felt like we could have kids who were a match for our school's academic program. And that has to be first and foremost, because our academic program is is no joke. Uh, 
but I felt like we could have kids who are a match for that academic program, but also at the very least like play baseball in the summer, you know, and it didn't have to be like fancy, expensive travel ball, you know, town league or local Babe Ruth league was fine with me, but I really wanted our program to have baseball playing kids in it. So, you know, the one decision I made early on was, you know, I was not going to replace those players I inherited. They were great kids. I wrote it out with them and it was a lot of fun. But then in 2012, that was the first really good team during my era here. You know, that was a championship team stock with kids who were amazing students, but, you know, also went on to play college baseball. And that momentum has continued on through today. You know, last year alone, we sent Jonathan Santucci to Duke and Jack Penny to Notre Dame and LJ Keevan to UMass Lowell. And Matt Sapienza is one of three guys we have on the roster at Georgetown University. Sebastian Mexico is at Fordham. You know, I could go on and on. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, baseball wise, I really I really just wanted our program to, to sort of have that identity as a, as a potential destination for rock and baseball playing kids who are also really, really good in the classroom. Sure. So tell us a little bit about that transition, too, because, you know, you have a, a standard and a norm and it's really hard to change that and behavior and, and, and all of those things. And when you have this, you know, this expectation of, hey, you know, we we have summers off here and then you're like, hey, like is, if we want to be as good as we want to be then we probably need to, like, like you said, transition into uh, getting guys into the program potentially or you know, making sure that those guys are just getting more reps in the summer. So what was that like? Was there any pushback there? And then how did you successfully like, weave that in? Yeah, it wasn't so much about converting kids already in the program and like convincing them to play summer ball. It was about okay. attracting new kids who were already wired that way. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Um, you know, that was the program changer for us. And again, uh, both kinds of kids are great. I just felt like we could have, you know, our cake and eat it too and have the best of both worlds. Rocking academic kids who also play a good amount of baseball in the summer. And that's what we were able sure. to accomplish. No, that's great. Oh, I love hearing that. So let's, let's go a little bit about, you know, I, I, I want to start, actually, let's start with the most recent. You guys got to dogpile on Sunday of this week, which is amazing. So when you look back, like I I know that this is really, really a quick turnaround for this, but in 10 years, when you're telling the story about this group of kids that you had, what what are the stories that you're going to set, that you're going to tell, or just what are some some things that come to mind when you're like, man, this group was X, Y, or Z, or this group did X, Y, or Z, and and that's why they were so successful? Well, one thing, Jonathan, is this group survived what I call the dark period. And that was COVID. You know, in mm-hmm. 2020, we didn't have a season at all. 2021, we played 14 games, but there was no championship to play for. And we basically just played doubleheaders every Saturday. You know, this was the first season since 2019 that we got to play what I would call meaningful baseball. There was a championship to play for. And it was a lot of kids on this roster that, you know, they had to weather the storm with 2000. Um, you know, 2019 and 2020 or 2020 and 2021 with, without meaningful baseball. And for, to be on this journey with them and have them come through this backside and play for a championship and win in a walk-off in the title game and get the dog pile on our home field as the number one seed. It just, I don't want to say it made those two years worthwhile, but it definitely was restorative to everyone's mental health. (laughs) Right. No doubt. No doubt. So let's let's get into a little bit of you know the the, the meat and potatoes of, of building the culture of a program. So you get the job, and again, it's it's a family ordeal, and you'd been there before, so you've gotten to see, you know, how the program was run. You've gotten to put your stamp on it as an assistant, and then you turn around, and now you're the guy in charge. I want to know, like, what what were some things that you changed because every personality is different. So when you're the head of an organization, there's going to be things that you curtail to your personality. So what were some of the things that you were like, Hey, we, we do this really well. Like you mentioned, you, we've got great kids and we want to, you know, get kids in that play summer ball, but just from a cultural standpoint of like your beliefs, your behaviors, and all of those things this fall or this, the, this, up, yeah. this next upcoming year, was there anything that came to mind that you were like, Hey, I, I want to do this. Well, Jonathan, I am very systematic. I have systems, systems in place for everything. I love roadmaps to follow. And one of the things that, um, you know, I did to, to really imprint my personality on the culture of the program is, uh, you know, I developed something that we call here rock to rail. Okay. And what that means is, you know, out by our right field foul pole, there's a big boulder. And on that boulder, there's a plaque. And, the, you know, the field is dedicated to an alum, Mr. Dick Phelps from the class of 1946. You know, he played here uh, 
you know, in the forties, he was teammates with president George HW Bush. He's cool. still alive, still kicking. And he's been very generous with our program. So that rock is really, really important to us. You know, we also have a railing in front of our home dugout on the third base side. So this mantra that we have called rock to rail every day, when our players hit the field, they get to that rock and they rub that rock and they sort of, you know, offer up to the baseball gods or the actual God, what they want to accomplish that day give it a rub and they are on at least a jog from that rock to the front railing of our dugout. And then when they get to that railing, they rub that rail and that's rock to rail. That's every day when they arrive for practice or they arrive from a game and rock to rail also symbolizes what we hold true, what we hold important, what we are accountable for in that space on that field between that rock and that rail. So we have 21 things um, that we're responsible for on the field. And that's like there's 21 outs in a high school baseball game. And then there are 13 tenants for our guys off the field. And, you know, on the field, it's, you know, again, we hit the field running every day. Number two, we play with energy and enthusiasm. Number three, we sprint everything out. Um, Number four, we're on and off the field in 12 seconds. Uh, Number five is pretty simple. It's we, not me. Mm-hmm. You know, number six, we hit unselfishly and situationally, you know, runner on third base, less than two outs infield back. We're going to play pepper and tap a ground ball and score that run. Um, number seven, we play backyard baseball and we might get into that a little bit. Um, but, you know, our guys have the freedom to make plays as long as timing, distance and anticipation fall into place. And they don't need to wait for a sign from me, but they have to do that. Um, number eight, we always like to win pregame. That's the way we stretch, the way we play catch. You know, we like to win the game before the game, and that gives us an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, active active listening is mandatory in our program, and that is eyes and ears on the speaker. And that, you know, you're giving nonverbal feedback that indicates, you know, you understand and that you're buying into what I'm saying. Um, receptive to learning is a big one. Uh, you know, full communication on anything hit in the air, anything hit on the ground, during drill work, in pregame, infield, outfield. Our guys are always talking. Um, a lot of programs are similar in this way. You know, if you're on time here, you're late. So, if we got to be there uh, 10 minutes before one, you know, you're there at 20 minutes before one. That sets you up good for college baseball in that way. Mm-hmm. Body language is really important. Um, you know, it says a lot more than, you know, what your words might. So we're really uh, intentional with that. Uh, in our program, coaches do not touch equipment. Uh, you know, if you see a coach with a piece of equipment in his hand, you sprint over and you take it out of his hand and you take care of that. Um, another little thing is when our guys are getting signs and they're on a base, they always hold their hand up in the air and they show the coach how many outs there are. That's Love really it. good for me because I'm getting old and I forget how many out there are. <laughs> sure. Same. <laughs> um, number 17, we stole from John Gordon. We just don't allow energy vampires. Uh, you know, we, we confront negativity, pessimism, laziness, and we're really intentional about that. Enthusiasm and positivity are the only things that we allow. Um, the next one is, is uh, this may sound funny, but we, we like to say that our bench is made of lava. You know, we, we get up off that bench and we support our teammates. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um sportsmanship is always really important you know we win as a team we lose as a team we don't make excuses you know we play with enthusiasm but we always respect our opponents we do not bench jockey i know that's a thing in baseball sometimes mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and the last thing is is just you represent yourself you know i tell the guys hey man you are a phillips academy and over student and you're a varsity athlete you know i don't think your parents should have to represent you i always ask kids sometimes when i hear from parents I'm like do you need your parents to represent you and the answer is always no i mean i love the parents in our program but i prefer to work directly with, with the kids so we're, again you know we're really really intentional and explicit and they all have these tenants this rock to rail stuff you know in a printout that's that's uh, arranged pretty pleasingly to the eye you know in terms of graphic design and they have it on the you know, the wall in their room and, you know, it's in our locker rooms and stuff like that. So it's on our dugout wall. So we're just really intentional about what it means to be a leader and what it means to play hard. Wow. There's, we could do an entire podcast episode over, over those things. And so I want to pick out just a few that I I think that are really good. So the first one you said, uh, or not one of the first ones, but one of the ones that I wrote down was that you guys are always talking and always communicating. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you promote that more? You know, I I was I just did a podcast yesterday, and it, you know, with with the generation that we are uh, that we are getting the opportunity to coach, they are very verbal through text and mm-hmm. online and and things like yeah. that. But but you know, even the active listening piece or the verbal communication piece is is I would say lacking a little bit and maybe it was always a teenage thing but I'd love to hear how you promote it how you teach it and how you guys go about accomplishing that task Jonathan this team we had this year was the best team the best group I've ever seen with active listening it's actually a little scary like they're so locked in on me with their eyes I'm like kind of freaked out sometimes (laughs) that's great (laughs) and they're shaking their heads yes and and uh 
you know, it's really, really cool. Um, but you're right. It is a challenge because today, you know, kids don't necessarily talk to one another. They might be right next to one another and text one another. It's really weird. You know, I, um, you know, I'm demanding. I'm never demeaning. Our standards are really clear, but I'm not like Mr. Meanie pants. You know what I mean? We, we never do punishment running or anything like that. But the only time we ever like run in that way is when we're working on, you know, short fly ball communication. And, yeah. uh, you know, every, you know, our infielders say ball, ball, ball. Our outfielders say mine, mine, mine. And then everybody on the field says yours, yours, yours. Cool. And literally if everyone on our field doesn't say it in unison, I stop and they sprint and touch the center field wall and come back. <laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, hey, man, if it were me, I wouldn't want to run. I would make sure my teammate is communicating. Sure. Um, so, you know, we have some fun with stuff like that. But, um, you know, basically we, we want to make plays. We want to keep each other safe. Um, you know, another thing is we take a really, really orchestrated two ball infield outfield routine um, okay. during during pregame. And it can be really intimidating for our opponents because we just we look like we know what we're doing. And if you've ever read Ron Polk's playbook, it's directly from Ron Polk's playbook. And it's just it's super cool. Oh, that's such and a good book. Every guy in our field is required to say something on every rep. Uh, so you watch us do that. And, you know, two balls moving around at all times and everybody's talking. Sometimes mm-hmm. we win games before the game even starts. That's great. No, I love that. And and you mentioned Ron Polk. I think so. The first year I'm coaching in 2012, 2012. So I get my first coaching job and my head coach at the time was like, hey, have you ever read Ron, Ron Polk's playbook? And I was mm-hmm. like, I haven't like, like who's Ron Polk? You know, I'm very naive at this point. I just had focused on players. And so like a week later, this thing shows up and it's literally like probably the baseball Bible at the time. I mean, I think there's a Kindle version now, but it's literally like Mm -hmm. five pounds worth of stuff. I mean, there's, there's like a script for the audio announcer. There's a, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, all of these different things. So definitely encourage you got to meet him a couple months ago, which was, was a hoot. That guy is hilarious. But it's funny how, you know, baseball circles run full circle. And and that was a very neat moment for me. And Jonathan, Uh, if you if you bump into him again, I guarantee he will remember you. He's that's that's amazing. I'll tell you a a fun story. I coached against him in the Cape in the Cape Cod Baseball League last summer. I was with the Bourne Braves and he was with the Wareham Gateman. And I have Ron Polk's playbook, a printed copy that a friend gave to me in 1994 my okay. first coaching job and it was used at the time it wasn't new <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and i've had it ever since and there are you know there are pages that are dislodged and i got them stuffed in there and you know i got corners on pages bent i got stuff highlighted it's it this book is in gnarly condition so anyway the last time we played against wareham and i've noticed the last time i'd see ron Polk for a while after the game i i went over with my backpack and i had him sign my ron polk's playbook and i pulled it out and he goes Holy cow, what year is that from? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. It was just oh, really rewarding. Great. Sure, yep. sure. No, it's that that's so good. He he told a story about uh him getting tossed three times in a weekend and now it's an SEC rule that if you get tossed <laughs> once, then you have to sit out like or if you get tossed twice, you have to sit out like two more games. He said, So that's at least one record that I've had that will never be broken. Like, the that's Ron the most Paul Ron rule. Paul yep. Oh man, that's so good. <laughs> Well, the next thing that I, I, I love, uh, you, you've got some, some cliches that you talk about and I, I love like the shared language that you have. So you, you mentioned that you were demanding and not demeaning. And one of the, one of the last ones you said, you wanted them to represent themselves. So taking into account the, the type of kids that you've got, and it may not all be like this, but I'm assuming that their parents are very involved with their lives. I mean, that, that's why they come to you and that's probably why they're, they're such great kids. And I, I truly believe that, but you mentioned that you, you know, you asked them to, to represent themselves and not have the parents do that for them. Like walk us through. So I'm, 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 I'm intrigued because I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you get a parent email. What is your response to that? And and then you're talking with the kids because again, it's, it's, you know, they, they want to be involved in their lives. And, and, uh, I would just love to hear how, if you were me, and I wanted to to develop a similar system uh, tomorrow. If say if I got the head coaching job at X, Y, or Z high school tomorrow, how would I implement something similar to that? Well, one thing that's important to know about where I work is, um, you know, I am a faculty member at Phillips Academy Andover, and it's just mm-hmm. a little bit different. You know, we're a boarding school, sure. 
boarding oh, schools yeah, are, a, are, are a New England thing. These, you know, we were founded in 1778 during the American Revolution. Um, we're perhaps the most prestigious uh, private school in the country. Um, you know, we have 1,200 students and we have kids from 50 states and 46 countries. And they live on campus here. We have a 600 acre campus and they live here in dormitories like college kids would. And the adults are here as well uh, because, you know, again, they're kids, they're, they're boys and girls, they're ninth through 12th graders. So 95% of our faculty live on campus here at the school with their families, with these students. So we get to do a lot of different things. You know, for instance, I'm a, a dean in our office of admission. You know, I help run a dormitory. I'm an academic advisor. I teach a class. I'm the advisor to our senior class. I volunteer to chaperone everything under the sun. And so the kids are literally here without their parents. <laughs> and they just, they get really, really good at advocating for themselves. Um, you know, another thing I would say, Jonathan, is that our school is really selective. You know, we have a 9% admit rate. So 91% of the 3,500 kids who apply to our school, you know, we, we can't offer admission to. And so every one of these kids we have at this school, they are all kids who love school. They're mm -hmm. really good at school. They really wanted to come to Andover. There's no apathy about academics. They love to do stuff. You know, the kids aren't locking themselves in their dorm rooms. We offer admission to kids who are really, really nice. So it's been a dream uh, group of kids that I get to work with. And not, I haven't just haven't had a lot of drama. I haven't had a lot of parent drama as well. And another thing about our baseball program is, you know, we've had a lot of success, especially since 2012. But I've never had more than 24 kids try out for varsity baseball. And we keep really? 18 at the varsity yeah. level. And I play everyone. So mm -hmm. we just had a lot of happy campers in our program, man. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no it's just been like a dream. It's one of the things that's kept me here all these years because I've had some other opportunities, but I, you know, I look at them like, is that really better than what I'm doing now? Mm -hmm. No, that's really, really good. So let's talk a little bit about, okay, so you, you've got these, I'll say 21 standards and, and you may refer to it differently. So yeah. can you give us an opportunity? And uh, you did do this with the communication piece, but I would love like a tangible thing of, Okay, so I had this one particular uh, young man who didn't uphold this standard, and then how did you? Because uh, how did you help correct him in that manner? Because you mentioned you don't do punishment running unless it's like within the team for communication. So I would love to hear you know your thoughts on how do we correct that behavior uh, differently? Yeah, we we uh, we we have you know the, the one thing that's great about clearly defining what your program's core values are is that you give the kids the opportunity to understand each of them and mm -hmm. agree with all of them sure you know if, if you're not on board with everything that we do here um you can't be part of the program and so Got that it. gives the opportunity to have really really honest and open and clear conversations if a kid does kind of step out of line during the course of the season it's like hey remember we talked about this and you did this that's in contrast to what our core values are and you can't argue with that. <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned is that you have to communicate because when you don't communicate, that space is filled with negativity 100% of the time. That space is filled with whatever a kid wants to fill it with, whatever an, yep. a parent wants to fill it with. So I'm very, very clear at the onset. You know, I pretty much cover anything that could possibly, you know, come up. And, you know, we have these off the field core values as well. Uh, you know, number one is always repping. That means that our players you know, have a great responsibility in representing our program. You know, there's a light that shines on them. You know, if they step out of line, if they do something that's in contrast, you know, with our, with our code of student conduct, you know, it's not that kid that did it. It's like the baseball team that did it. So they need to know that they, they're kind of losing their identity a little bit. Um, you know, it's other things like be our hardest worker, uh, spark energy and enthusiasm, model mental toughness, connect with teammates, challenge teammates, compliment teammates, you know, support teammates, confront negative negativity and laziness. Uh, you know, check in with coaches, see what you can do, um, you know, be a servant leader. And, and we define what all these things mean. And we're constantly checking in with them. You know, we actually, I actually asked them to give me examples of, you know, what did you do in terms of like confronting ne negativity and laziness so far this season? And then, uh, you know, that really makes them accountable. No, I love that. And it, it's such a, you know, I, I love your, your refreshing take on uh, coaching. You know, it's, it's, I, I mean that in in the most sincere form because it's, you know, when, when I was growing up and I'm sure when you were growing up, it was an extremely different relationship with yeah. players. And to me, like, and, and, and you can definitely tell like you managed in professional baseball. So you know how 
important it is to have those conversations and how important it is to, you know, put the player first and it's no longer a transactional relationship. And that just, you ooze that. And I, you know, I just wanted to take, to take a second to say thank you, you know, for helping me along that journey, especially with coming up with tangible ways to be able to do that because, you know, you're doing it on an everyday basis as a head coach at a high school. And yes, you have positives and negatives with your job, but you're also being able to accentuate what you have and continue to mold those young men that are underneath your program, which is awesome. Well, you know, Jonathan, that's a great point. Thank you for that. I managed in professional baseball for a number of years in the mid nineties. Um, and back then I received a piece of advice, uh, you know, from, from front office and from my agent. And that was, uh, you know, in dealing with players as a young manager, professional baseball, everyone said, you got to be friendly, but not familiar. You know, mm-hmm. the players, they, they really need to know, like, they're the players, you're the one in charge. You know, I've changed in that regard big time. And, you know, what I know now is today's kids don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. And Absolutely. I think that's a really, really, really good thing. You know, we as coaches have so much to offer. For me, it's, you know, it's breakfast with a kid in the morning, checking in about academics or social life, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with baseball. It's, it's taking the team bowling. It's knowing the words to the songs they like. Like I'm always singing and dancing at practice. I know that's not for <laughs> that's everybody, great. but I'm yeah, always doing good. that kind of thing. Sure. You know, it's asking how their families are. It's high-fiving little brother, or little sister during the games. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, and it's so much better for my mental health, uh, <laughs> knowing that yeah, I'm doing yeah. what I can to make this kid's life better and baseball more enjoyable than like my method of coaching is like, you know, just crapping on kids. Uh, that, that's not good for anybody. Sure. Well, to me, it sounds like you want to run a program that's disciplined, but enjoys coming to work, I guess to work, enjoys coming to play every single day. Yeah. I said before demanding, but never demeaning. That's something mm-hmm. that's really, really worked for me. So again, we clearly define what our core values are on the field and off the field and we hold them accountable. But, you know, they're kids and we, we absolutely have a gentle touch in the same vein. Sure. No doubt. No, I love that. So one of the things that I, I you know, and we've talked about this off the mic, you're a master graphic designer and video <laughs> editor. <laughs> and so, I, you know, how much has that grown the program? Because I'm, I'm looking at it from the outside in and I know how big social media is, but I'm looking at like I followed you guys and the different pictures and graphics that you put out. I mean, it, it, it you guys run a it looks like a professional organization, but you're also yeah. highlighting the good. You're giving updates and it, it, it's really neat. Like that's the first, the the first thing that I noticed was the guys running from rock to rail. And I was like, Oh, that's yeah. like, that's interesting. That gets me intrigued and, and hearing more about this, but tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your purpose behind it and any coaches that are wanting to do something similar that may, you know, may not have the gift that you do. Uh, what are some ways that you found to, to help that to be a successful promotion of your program? Oh, thanks for pointing that out. You know, I bring a unique skill set for one reason, because, you know, when you coach in college baseball, as I did for years, you often do other things in addition to coaching college baseball. So I was actually a sports information director for, for 10 years and college sports information. That's, that's no joke, man. You publicize entire athletic departments. You learn graphic design, you learn web design, you write press releases, you do game programs, photography, mm-hmm. you know, uh, event management, all that stuff. And I just, you know, I brought all of that experience and all those skills with me to this high school program. And as far as high school programs go, or even college programs for that matter, you know, we were really the first to flood social media platforms with content, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and our YouTube channel. If you, if you've been there, if anybody wants to visit, it's uh, on YouTube, just search big blue baseball and you'll find our channel. Mm-hmm. And it, I have literally thousands of videos on that channel broken sure. up into playlists. You know, I do full highlight packages for after every game we play, I do recruiting videos with game highlights for pretty much every player in our program. I do it all myself, no expense to families. It's truly a passion project for me. And I'm really intentional about how our graphics look and how our highlights look, especially. I think branding is really, really important. For example, you know, we never do like full field highlights where, you know, on your smartphone, you see an entire baseball diamond and you watch it and, and it looks, you can't tell what's happening because the players are so small. They look like ants. You know, I think of highlights more cinematically more like steven spielberg might you know uh we're very cinematic lots of close-ups lots of pans edits to different Mm -hmm. camera angles i spend way too much time on it but i love it i'm a total photoshop illustrator iMovie, adobe premiere geek (laughs) that's awesome i don't think there's another high school program in the country that comes close to doing what we do in in this regard Um, and the players love it man it really does help build a culture of pride in our program 
you know, making sure uh, the way we play, our style of play passes the eyeball test because, you know, in everything we do, everything they do, I should say, like I show them on video, like after every game, we'll do, we'll do a, a classroom session and I'll just fire up every one of their swings from the entire game. <laughs> and we'll just talk about swing path or, you know, if you don't make a hard turn at first base, like it's, it's up there on the big screen for everybody to see, you know, I get a little, uh, Bill Belichick like in that regard. Sure. Um, and I mentioned Bill cause he's actually an alum of Phillips Academy and oh, so. cool. that's awesome. So the video, it just, it does a lot in terms of branding. It does a lot in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, a building just a pride in the program with the guys. And it's so valuable as a teaching tool. Oh, that's great. So, you know, going back to you using it as a teaching tool, uh, you mentioned after games. So I'm I, okay. So let, let's say that I'm taking over a program tomorrow and I want to implement this, the same thing. And I'm going, okay, so we have, we just played, you know, two and a half hours, three hours. And how do I, how, what's the most, the most beneficial way that you found to review games because we play, you know, four or five times a week. And I, I, I'm trying to find that balance myself of going through and, and finding teaching points, but not wait, you know, wasting their time and my time uh, trying to, to find different things. And, you know, I like scrolling through video and, and trying to find one clip might take, you know, three or four minutes and, and that adds up over time. So give me some teaching points. Yeah. So after every game, like right after every game, um, for home games, I actually have four cameras. Uh, okay. So we have a we have a student manager with a really nice camcorder who films from our dugout. When we are on defense, she films our pitcher, uh, gets his wind up and his delivery, and then she follows where the ball is put in play. So if it's it to the shortstop, she gets the shortstop fielding it, throwing it to first base, and then we get guys celebrating and stuff like that. And then we're on offense. She focuses on our hitter. Hitter puts the ball in play, then she focuses on that hitter rounding the bases and the lead runner doing whatever that lead runner is doing as well. So that's when I say cinematically, we do that instead of filming a full field. Um, but we also have a camera mounted on our third base dugout. I have a camera mounted on our first base dugout, and I have a camera mounted on our backstop. So after every game, I have four camera angles of every play that happens. <laughs> and I sit there on my laptop awesome. in, in the living room on my couch, and I go through every play. And I cut for a single game. It's typically an eight minute highlight video that we put up on Instagram. We link to from Twitter. I put it on my Facebook account and it goes up on our YouTube channel. And during the course of cutting that highlight video, of course, I see everything that happened in that game. So the stuff I see that we did well and the stuff I see that we could do better, I drag into separate folders so we can watch it on a big screen the next day as a team. Um, you know, for instance, this season, man, we just had a rash of barrel dumping and weak pop-ups <laughs> sure. and the guys can't feel it. Like they don't know they're doing it. If I tell them they're doing it, that doesn't really do much good. But when I show the barrel dumping, when I show they're not on plane with the pitched ball, then they're like, Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Sure. So it just really helps them understand, you know, we're doing this drill work today to get you a feel for getting flatter through the zone. We want line drives and hard ground balls because we're just making life too easy on the defense. Sure. Um, so that's an example of how we use video and how we show the guys and how we get buy-in on what we can do better. You know, our practice plans, once the season gets going, are 100% dictated by what we did not do well in the last game. <laughs> okay. sure. Yeah. And so, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, I, I rely on practice plans from years past. But as the season progresses, our practice plans evolve based on what I see. And a lot of what I see comes on video because I just am obsessive about watching everything that happened in every game. No, that's really, really good. And uh, I, you know, I love hearing that and, and seeing that and, you know, speaking with players, you know, we'll, I'll ask, you know, who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite team? A lot of them have favorite players, but you know, I'll ask them, Hey, did you watch this game last night? And they're like, no, I, I saw the highlights. Like I, mm -hmm. so they're, they're open to doing that. And, you know, one of the things that I even like, like if I, if I miss a game on, you know, major league baseball network, uh, I'll go back and I'll watch the compressed version, which is like, you know, five mm -hmm. to eight minutes long. And yep. I don't feel like that's a chore at all. And I'm, I'm sure cutting it up and doing those things, but five to eight minutes, I think that that's, if we could get the, a system developed behind producing that and then giving that to the players to watch, I love that. Like, I think that that's a fantastic idea. It's really good. Yeah. And I do it all manually. Like I don't have a, a, a service or a portal mm -hmm. or a company. I just have the camcorders. I have, uh, my my laptop and me <laughs> so cool. i'm pretty proud of i just you know a lot of this i wanted to do for the longest time but the mm -hmm. technology wasn't where my brain was 
when the technology caught up, I was like, oh, I can do that now. It was pretty cool. You know, another thing that we do is we have a team text group. And, you know, I'm the only person allowed to text in the text group. You know, our team receives daily texts every day for me. And, you know, they might be about academics, might be about, you know, non-baseball related stuff. But a lot of times it's like a quick video attachment of an infielder making a throw on the run, like we worked on in practice that day. Or, you know, Miguel Cabrera staying inside the ball, stuff like that. One year, uh, you might find this interesting. I actually texted sure. our team. I actually texted our team an entire book, <laughs> The Mental ABCs of Baseball, oh, in one that. one text per day, three sentences per text. And by okay. the end of the year, they had read the whole book. Really? You know, what That's I, a, I really like that. Yeah, a little bite because, you know, I know personally, I don't read anymore. Uh, you know, I crush social media. I do video editing. I, you know, kids read for school, but they don't read for fun. Um, I used to read baseball books and stuff like that. You know, Ted Williams, uh, you know, science of hitting kids don't really do that anymore. So this is a way that I can feed them stuff that I think is cool and like kind of force feed them to read a book. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And, you know, for, for coaches who are listening, I, uh, one of the, so I got to present in Chicago this year at the Illinois high school coaches association, which did another fantastic job. But one of the, one of the things that they really liked was using WhatsApp. I don't, I don't know what, yeah what group messaging service you use. But the reason they like that when the reason that we use it, you can send full videos, uh, group me kicks people out, which I, it drives me crazy, mm-hmm. but WhatsApp, you can also see who viewed your message that you sent. Yep. And then if they didn't view it, then it's like, okay, now I can have a conversation. They can't just give me eyewash of like, yeah, yeah, I'm reading it, you know, yeah. or whatever. Uh, so that is to your point, which is a, a great idea. I, I, that's a service that we have used. It's free. I think it's through Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but what do you guys use for that? Just a uh, iMessage? Yeah. WhatsApp is the next frontier. I was actually talking to okay. someone about WhatsApp the other day. So sure. we use iMessage because we're fortunate because every kid on our team has a phone. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that one kid, huh? No, we don't. Um, uh, so, you know, I haven't had to really mess with that, but I think sure. WhatsApp is, is, is probably a, a better one, but I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm up on what's new, but I'm sort of set in my ways for now on, on the, sure. uh, on the text group. Yeah, but the one thing I, I, I mandate is like, I am the only one allowed to mm. text in that. Mm. I, I don't want it to become a slippery slope. I don't want kids sure. putting weird stuff in there. And, and Jonathan, man, we are constantly throughout the course of the year, monitoring our guys, social media, talking to them about social media. Okay. You know, we, t- we tell them that, um, you know, they represent our program, not just mm-hmm. themselves. So sure. if they post something on, on Instagram or post something on one of the social media platforms, they're not posting as John Smith, they're posting as Andover Big Blue Baseball. Sure. And so, um, you know, we tell them it's not only what you post, it's what people comment on your posts. It's what mm-hmm. you comment on other people's posts. There's so many cautionary tales out there about programs, about coaches losing their jobs, about kids losing scholarships that just it's worth the investment to constantly remind them that this is this is a really, really important thing to pay attention to. Oh, for sure. No, I, I love hearing that. And, you know, it's, it, it keeps us up to, up to date too. You know, I hate being on social media, uh, all times of the day, but I, I think, you know, being, being relevant with today's kids, well, even, even in my day, if I had a coach that was somewhat relevant in, uh, in what was going on in, in the teenager's world, I, I always thought that that was really cool. And it, it shows, uh, the, the relationships that you have with them that that you're continuing to stay relevant by dancing and playing music and doing the lyrics and stuff like that. Well, Jonathan, you know, I talked earlier about like, they don't care how much you know, unless they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. Oddly, and this caught me by surprise, when you produce a highlight or something cool that a kid did during a game or a recruiting video and you put it out on social media, it really shows them that you care. Like you took the time to throw that together and highlight that kid. And I didn't anticipate that when we started flooding the market with social media content, sure. but that's, no, that's, that's, been an, that's been an unintended, really cool aspect of that. Sure. Well, you're highlighting, that's part of that culture that you're highlighting everyone. And I'm sure you are very intentional about making sure that each of those, each of your players gets some opportunity to showcase their strengths. Try and do it, man. I always look for something cool for, for you know, the best player in the program to, to put some stuff out there, but also mm-hmm. like a kid who maybe plays a little bit of a lesser role, did something cool, like get that kid out there too. No doubt. No, that's really cool. So the next thing I want to talk about is like, let's, let's talk about the off season and what you guys are, you know, what you guys did either last fall or what you're planning on doing this fall. You know, what are your time restrictions? How, how much do you get to see them? 
And then I'm thinking like fall, so we can start stuff when they get back to school for an hour a day, five days a week. I don't know what, what your, or when you get your players on a field, or I guess could be in a gym, but you know, what, what are you guys doing in the fall to creating that, you know, that compound effect of, Hey, we're going to set the tone here, but, uh, it's going to pay off in the spring. You know, I might be a little bit controversial in this regard, because I know this is a baseball podcast, um, but I actually encourage kids. So I, I guess the long story is, you know, I encourage kids to shut down throwing after summer baseball for sure. You know, I tell them, take some mm-hmm. time, be an athlete, play other sports, go to the beach, play golf, play tennis, be a kid. And then when they arrive here in the fall, you know, we have a progressive, gradual, eight-week-long fall long toss program based on sure. Alan Jager principles. Shout mm-hmm. out to Alan Jager out in California. Oh, yeah. You know, so we put some, you know, some structure in place. You know, and in the fall, you'll see our guys down on the field in small groups. You know, they'll tunnel hit, long toss, turn double plays, that sort of thing. But we're actually really clear about this. In our program, the fall can never look like a team practice. We don't do captain's practices or that sort of thing. We never want to have anything in place that feels mandatory or prevent a kid from playing a fall sport. We love it when our guys play football or soccer or run cross country or whatever else is out there. You know, I do believe that baseball is the greatest sport in the world. But baseball does entail a lot of standing around. You know, we just we believe that baseball, uh, you know, is, is you know, we, we believe that playing multiple sports makes you a better athlete and being more athletic helps makes you better at baseball. So, you know, we want our baseball playing kids to get their work in and they certainly do, but never at the expense of dropping another sport. You know, one of the great things about baseball, in my mind, is it's a summer game as much as it is a spring game. So you play the heck out of it in spring and summer. And ideally, that frees you up to play soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, playing other sports helps you learn how to compete as well. Like, I played high school basketball, and I loved it. And I, I just learned so much about how to compete that I took to the baseball diamond from playing sure. high school basketball. And I'll never forget that. So I know there's, you know, some some Twitter controversy, you know, some people are like, play multiple sports and other people are like, no, that, that doesn't really help. But <laughs> that, that's, that's sort of how we roll. And, you know, we're a little bit different because at our school, we have a three season uh, athletics requirement. Okay. Um, so we, we actually can't have fall ball or captain's practices okay. in fall or winter. Um, sure. You know, the kids, are, the kids are playing interscholastic sports or they're doing an intramural sport or they're doing what we call life activities. So that could be weight training or yoga or spinning or Zumba or rock climbing or power walking. Mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. But we make sure that we have a year-long uh, structure in place where kids are getting their work in, but they're doing other stuff as well. Okay. So let me ask you this. When yeah. the season is over and you're turning over your roster, you can congratulate the seniors, and then, you know, then you're on to the next class at some point you know, in the summer or in the fall. What is that? Do you have individual meetings with players? And if you do, take us inside of what that would look like. Well, we have some really cool traditions in our last week of the season. Uh, for instance, you know, we just won, you know, our New England championship over the weekend, <clears throat> but that's not the end of our season. We always play one last rivalry game oh, against cool. a, ri- a rival school called Phillips Academy Exeter. You know, we're okay. Phillips Academy Andover. We were founded in 1778 during the American Revolution. We started playing baseball in the late 1800s. And Andover and Exeter have been beaten up on each other since the late 1800s. So it's it's like our little Cal Stanford, wow, our crazy. little Army Navy, you know, Mm-hmm. whatever you, whatever you want to call it and uh the the week leading up to that we have a, some pretty cool traditions for our seniors like yesterday we just had our our senior class home run derby and uh you know we we move home plate to around the pitcher's mound so you know some of the pitchers can hit home runs too and it's even oh, the playing great. field they dress up in like you know steph curry jerseys and you know funny outfits and things like that and that's fun okay. Today, actually, uh, is Friday before uh, Andover Exeter Saturday. So we have a, okay. another tradition that we call senior swing. And senior swing is at the end of practice, you know, all of our players line up in front of our dugout. And then one by one, our graduating seniors get a chance to go to home plate and take one final swing against me. And they stay up there until they hit one flush on the barrel that just feels perfect. Oh, that's awesome. And then then they get to come out to the mound and, and you know, tell me whatever they want to tell me. Sometimes they want to hug it out. What I don't know. I never know what they're going to say. And we have that private moment together. And then they work uh, through the line of players and student managers. And it's just, you know, hugs and hugs and hugs and tears. And, and we wait till that kid gets through the line until, you know, before the next kid comes up the home plate and has his senior swing. So that's, that's, that's been a really, really fun tradition. And then, mm-hmm. you know, okay. af- after Andover Exeter that following week, you know, we do, captain's voting. Uh, you know, I have one-on-one meetings with all the players. Um, and, uh, 
you know, that kind of thing. So we're, we're, we're probably not that unique in that regard in terms of those one-on-one meetings, but, you know, I always want to get a sense of what their experience was like playing for me. Okay. I always want to give them a sense of, um, you know, what I think they need to improve upon. And, you know, having been here for 13 years now, I'm sort of playing zone defense against all the kids we have out there playing college baseball. So the graduating seniors, you know, individual, I just please, I beg them to please stay in touch because I just, there's a lot of people for me to keep track of, but it right, really helps exactly. when you help me in that regard. Cause I really want to remain part of their lives. Oh, that's cool. While we're on the, the subject of traditions, what are some other ones that are, are there any other ones that are unique like that? Because I think that those are, are two great shares. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're known a lot for, um, you know, president George HW Bush, you know, played baseball at Phillips Academy Andover. So we have a, a memorial plaque on our dugout wall with a you know picture of George, President Bush in his in his Andover uniform back in the '40s. Um, I designed a, a President Bush uh, memorial sleeve patch that we wear on our home and road okay. uniforms and alternate jerseys, and that's really cool. And I remember when uh, you know President Bush used to come to to campus quite often, and he loved coming down to the baseball field. And his most recent visit before he passed away, you could tell that this might be his last visit. And uh, so he was down at the field and he had, you know, I gave him a Sharpie and he was signing all our kids baseball bats. And that was a really, really cool moment. And, you know, after he left, after he left, you know, the kids were asking me, Hey, uh, can I call my mom? Can I call my dad? I'm like, yeah, grab your phone and and call your mom and dad. And they were like, mom, dad, president Bush just signed my baseball bat. And then they were like, can you send me a new baseball bat? I love that. That's so cool. You can't take BP with a baseball bat with President Bush's signature right. on it, right? That's oh, blasphemy. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's so good. But that's uh, the kind of that's the kind yeah, of tra- so cool. uh, tradition we have. Like, no, our alumni very rarely ask me, "What was your one loss record?" or, or uh, you know, "Did you win a championship?" You know, they ask mm-hmm. me, "Did did you beat Exeter?" There's just this. <laughs> that's, cool. that, that's all anybody cares about around here. And I think that when you have that sense of importance, when you have that kind of rivalry, and it goes back so far and like so many famous people have played in the game i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's a really cool tradition that adds a lot to a program oh for sure no doubt well let's get into a little bit about you know uh, conducting practice in season and i i i if you want to touch on base running we can but i would really direct your uh our listeners to your abca talk which was unbelievable and so i mean you went out ins and outs and tons of video we couldn't yep. even touch the surface in the remaining time that we have, but I would like to know, like, so the interesting part about, about you is you're very intentional about catering to the strengths that you have as a program. Mm-hmm. So that was one way, uh, the, the base running aspect. And you even mentioned that, that some of the guys in the Northeast call you the mad scientist with base running stuff, but yeah. you you're able to take the strengths that you have as a program and then utilize those and continue to hammer those out on a daily basis. So you know, when, when you do get your guys, uh, in January or, or February, whenever you, you get them for the preseason, I'd love to know, like, how do you win that time? So if you look back in, in, in the, if you go to the future and look back and say, Hey, we won this preseason, what does that consist of? You know, our former athletic director used to compare our program to ants on a hill. <laughs> you know, in, base- <laughs> sure. in baseball, man, it's so easy to run a practice and I see it in youth baseball a lot, especially town ball. You know, it's so easy to run a practice in which one guy's taking BP and 15 guys shag waiting for their turn to hit. You know, I make sure that our practices have a pace, a rhythm, have a vibe to them. You know, we are okay. go, go, go. Every day, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but every day I arrive with a practice plan and I post it on our dugout wall or on the wall of our field house if we're indoors. And that practice plan spells out very clearly how we'll spend every second of every minute of that practice block. You know, our, our pitchers know what they're doing, whether it's, you know, long toss, flat grounds, drill work, bullpens. They know when it's going to happen, who their catcher is going to be. You know, they got they know what we're doing for individual defensive work, what we're going to work on on team defense that day. You know, hitting groups. And, and we just, you know, we got screens and baseballs and student managers and fungos and, you know, everything's going on. And as you mentioned, I love any and all base running drills because, you know, we are in New England. Our season is an eight-week-long sprint because of the weather. So we are indoors uh, quite a bit because because there's snow on the ground. And I love any and all base running drills because you can do them anytime. You can do them anywhere. 
You don't need any equipment and they're really, really fun. Mm -hmm. I think base running is the most overlooked aspect of our game. If you, if you take the time to learn and research and gravitate toward coaches who are intentional about teaching it, and you'll think creatively and think a little bit differently, man, it can be a program changer for you. And Jonathan, the, the genesis of that was, it was a story I told, um, you know, during the ABCA convention. And that is in 2014, I thought we had a really, really talented team. We were like one in four or one in five to start the season. Mm-hmm. And we were falling behind in games. And it was just like, you know, they only say, if you want to shut down an opponent's running game in baseball, take a lead against them and they'll stop running. And that was sure. us. We were just kind of, we were falling behind and we were just waiting for the sand to run out of the hourglass on these losses. So we lost on a Wednesday. And that night, man, I pulled an all-nighter and I just researched to the back edge of the internet. And I just felt intuitively there was something between second base and third base that we could do to like jumpstart this offense. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I discovered a guy named Mike Roberts, who, oh, uh, yeah. you know, Mike, Mike Roberts was the head coach at the University of North Carolina for a long time. He's a head coach in the Cape Cod League. He presents at all the national conventions. His son, Brian Roberts, was still in like 60 bases per game in Major League Baseball. Um, and I learned the art of jump lead steel breaks. And man, pulled an all-nighter, ordered everything that you could order that, you know, Mike Roberts had written. It came overnighted it and pulled another all-nighter, put this whole system in on a Thursday, and we we just unrolled it on a Friday. <laughs> and and we've been uh, we've been doing it ever since. We're perfecting it ever since and I've gotten mm-hmm. better at teaching it. The kids are getting better at, at doing it. But you know, there was just I had this thirst to be better, to teach something a little bit differently, to find something that maybe, you know, programs in this region hadn't thought about. And, you know, really it kind of changed the game in this part of the country. Oh, that's really neat. Uh, and, and again, you did a fantastic job of explaining even how to teach it, like the philosophy, the teaching, the progressions, and highly, highly encourage uh, any listeners that are, that are wanting to dig into that more, uh, really, really go check that out. Cause I thought that that was really what you, you put a ton of time into that and it, it was very evident. Jonathan, I prepared for that, like Rocky Balboa preparing to fight Yvonne Drago in Rocky IV. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, I've got a well, one more before you go. So, yeah. uh, you know, well, I've got I've got this in some quick hitters, but uh, yeah, yeah. getting ready for postseason. So you guys have had yeah. success in the postseason. Sure. What changes for you, if anything, or how, do, how have you felt like what has led to your success in the postseason? Well, Jonathan, I've learned two things over the years in terms of getting ready for the postseason. Number one is those last few practices leading up to the postseason are a great time for review. Bunt coverages, first and third defenses, things like that. You know, as coaches, we tend to put those things in in the beginning of the season. And it's human nature to sort of say, okay, we put those in. Our guys know it. We're sort of done with that. But, man, I've seen so many playoff games won and lost on team defense. You know, again, bunt coverages, first and third defenses, that kind of thing. You know, we ramp all that stuff back up in the, as the postseason draws near, especially in that last week leading up to the postseason. And number two, you know, postseason is a time when kids tend to put a lot of importance on it. And that makes kids, you know, want to sort of play hero ball, like slap hitters will try to hit home runs. Everybody starts swinging for the fences. Mm-hmm. You know, we tell our guys repeatedly, hey, don't, don't make this out to be more than it is. You know, don't try and don't try and do too much. Take care of the little things. You know, the way we dynamic stretch, the way we throw, the way we take signs, you know, line drives and hard ground balls, throwing strikes. Like, you know, controlling the running game, you know, take care of the little things and let the big things like winning a championship take care of themselves. You know, I stopped giving fiery motivational speeches because I think I was actually like scaring the heck out of our guys. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just making it feel like it was so important that they were just kind of, they were either trying to do too much or they were shrinking up. So we just, we sort of, we try to like, treat the season like an airplane gradually ascending off a runway rather than, okay, the postseason's here. Let's blast off toward outer space like a rocket ship. Sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. And you hear that a lot of, you know, with energy management doing a little very well rather than a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so you mentioned ramping that up, but you know, it's, it's, it's a really good, it's, it's hard to practice because, you know, you've got so much pressure on you as a coach too. And, and it's so refreshing to hear, you know, somebody who's had success with, with doing that, uh, talk about those same things. And it, it seems, you know, success leaves clues for me. And that's another one that, that I feel like a lot of people talk about. I don't know what it looks like cause I haven't been in a ton of programs, but that's really refreshing to hear. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. So we've got a, a few quick hitters before you go. And yeah, love uh, the quick hitters. The, yeah, no doubt. So the first one is what's a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? Oh, uh, great question. So honestly, our guys love what we call our backyard baseball drill. We do a lot of base running. So there's a lot that we need to do to get our kids to the point where they can actually handle this drill. But when, when they get to that point, they love it. And basically we have five lines of base runners at second base. We'll set up, you know, four second bases behind the actual second base and we'll have a coach on the mound, or it could be a, you know, a pitcher. Um, that coach can, can one look, he can two look, he can inside move, he can spin move, he can leg lift and go to the plate. He can slide step, whatever he wants. And it's the runner's job to sort of decode what's happening, be okay. strategic, be systematic, and just find the right time for a jump lead steal break. Mm-hmm. And they love it because there's no signs from the coach. No one's telling them, you know, go or don't go. It's just you and the pitcher, you know, no adult in your ear, backyard baseball style, like when we were, when, like when we were kids. So they, you know, when we get them to the point where they understand timing, when they understand distance, when they understand anticipation, and we've spent all year defining and drilling all three of those things, and they can just do it all on their own. They, they just really, really like that freedom to get out there and make plays. Cool. I really like that. Second one is what is the latest thing that you've learned that's made you better at your job? Well, um, you know, something I, something I touched on earlier and that was that, um, you know, again, managing a professional baseball back in the nineties, it was, you know, friendly, but not familiar. Uh, but you know, kids really need to know, you know, they don't care how much, you know, unless they know how much you care. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit redundant and I'm repeating that, but I'm telling you, it is the best and the most important thing that I've learned in coaching this age group of kids. And I think that, you know, if I do end up back in college in, in professional baseball, which I would like to do at some point, I'm going to take a lot of that back with me to that level. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I would do it totally differently than I did in the mid nineties. That's for sure. Cool. This may play right into it, but what's the most recent thing that you've changed your mind about and why did you change your mind? All right. This may be a totally different response than you've ever gotten to this question, but cool. I changed my mind <clears throat> about the preconceived notion I had that sports agents are evil. <laughs> We, okay. we have a kid in our we have a we have a kid in our programming Thomas White and Thomas is like the best he's he's uh, I just love being around him he's the number one rated prospect in the country in the class of 2023 and uh, you know for a time you know I was dealing with agents trying to work their way into Thomas's circle as his advisor you know because he, he he's going to be a first round draft pick next year and I was skeptical of all of them uh, but you know I, I love people I love learning people's stories I love getting to know new people like you. And uh, with, with some of these agents, I just let my guard down a little bit. And, you know, I met and made some, some actually really good friends with some really great people in that field. Hmm. And they were guys who weren't even chosen to be Thomas's advisors. And I'm still friends with them. So, you That's know, I great. think you can work in a you can work in a profit driven field, but also be a good person providing a valuable service. I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. So That's I would say that's enough. something really, really recently that I changed my mind about. Sure. That uh, seeing the highlights of that kid, it's pretty good. Six, six lefty. Yeah, and, and just, you know, 95, 96, and it looks like mm. he's just playing easy catch in the backyard with mom or dad. And there you go. That's awesome. And the best kid in the history of mankind. First one oh, to pick up equipment, first one to high-five a teammate. Um, he's a pitcher, but he loves being in the lineup as a hitter. He'll dive <laughs> for, he, he dives for balls. He slides. He's an amazing base runner. Um, he was in my academic advising group, takes care of business in the classroom, and just what a dream kid. Cool. No, I love hearing that. Last one for you is share with us a failure and how that's propelled you forward. Oh man, this is going to sound really weird that I think of this as a failure. But in 1992, my senior year in college, playing college baseball, I was diagnosed with lymphoma. Uh, You know, I had played that entire season, unbeknownst to me, with a grapefruit-sized tumor in my chest. Wow. And don't get me wrong, I was sick as a dog, but I was going to see the wrong kind of doctors, and uh, I was getting misdiagnosed, and I just did not know what was going on. You know, you're, you're a dirt dog baseball player, Jonathan, like I am, and man, you just you rub some dirt on it, and you get back out there. Um, but it got to the point where I, I collapsed on the field in a playoff game, and uh, you know they shipped me off to the emergency room and and uh, did a chest X-ray and all that stuff, and I was admitted uh, into the ICU at. Uh, at St. Peter's Hospital in Albany, New York, straight straight away, and uh, you know biopsy, and and uh, was in ICU for three weeks, and and uh, went right into chemotherapy, six months of that, and three months of radiation therapy, and so 
you know, when you're 21 years old in your entire life, you know, I've done nothing but identify as a baseball player. I had no other identity, never thought of myself in any other way. And all of a sudden that's not who you are. And now you are a kid who's dealing with cancer and now that's your identity, Hmm. man. That was just, that was a lot, a lot to swallow. And uh, it was, it was really, really difficult. So I, I wouldn't say I see it as a failure, but it was something that just really was a curveball that I did not see coming and I did not know how to handle it um, wow. mentally, physically, or in any other way. Um, sure. But I, I don't want this to be a sad story, Jonathan. I, yeah, I was able to come through it. You know, I was able to, you know, get myself back in shape and I took a, a job coaching at Lassen College in Susanville, California. Cal- Shout out California Junior College Baseball. <laughs> That's my my first coaching job. I drove in my Plymouth Sundance from Albany, New York to Susanville, California Love without that. GPS. You know, I think my salary was like $2,500 for the entire sure. year. And I learned so much. Then I managed in college summer league uh, that following summer. Then I went overseas and played in Australia. Um you know, then I then I started a journey playing uh, uh, professional baseball at the independent level, and then I managed an independent ball, and then I got into college coach, and then I got my master's degree, and then we ended up at Phillips Academy Andover. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. If people say everything happens for a reason. I don't know if I believe that, but it does feel at times like there was there has been this journey that I have been on. That's like there's been a path that I've just been kind of following. No, that's amazing, and you know, it's I I I've never seen you coach one day in your life, but your players are lucky to have you, and oh man, I, thank I, you, I'm Jonathan. Blessed. So, uh, KG, man, I I appreciate getting to know you today. Hopefully, we have a lot more conversations because I know I'll be picking your brain consistently probably the rest of your career. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. I, Likewise. I, oh yeah, I love it. So, I did want to give you the opportunity to share anything and everything else that you've got. So, I'm going to mute myself. Is there anything else yeah. that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I would say that, you know, I have a bunch of resources that I'm really, really happy to share with people, especially about the base running stuff that we do. We call it systematic chaos. That's our style of offense that I've sort of pioneered. Um, hit me up. It's uh, my first initial and my last name. It's K-G-R-A-B as in boy, E-R at Andover.edu. Uh, on YouTube, got a lot of resources up there. Uh, search Big Blue Baseball on YouTube and you'll definitely you'll definitely come directly to our channel. Um uh, big blue baseball on Instagram, real underscore PA baseball on Twitter. And, uh, Hey, whatever I can do to help anybody out, just let me know. Thank you so much for listening to ahead of the curve. If you would do us a huge favor, leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone and tag us on social media. That would help us so much with growing the show and helping others to stay ahead of the curve.